Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Top Stories of the Week, presented by Girl on the Gov, the podcast. This exclusive bonus episode drops on Tuesdays and gives you the 411 on the need to know political news and tea. So, as always, we'll keep you updated. Welcome back to Top Stories of the Week, except special edition version, because we will be covering a top story in depth, which we've been yearning to do and are very excited to do. And we have an amazing, amazing expert to do it. So yearning. What in the I love that word. do we have here? <laughs> I love that. I word. mean, like, I love it. I love like for us, that's just we've really elevated the vocab. That's like, you know, in essays where there's that like word where you're like, ah, I just mm-hmm. really made that top notch. I feel like mine was always garnered. Mm, but garnered's a good one. I love yearned. I actually kind of use that semi regularly. There it is. There it is. Yearned. Everyone yeah. implement it. It's, it's a great it's a great word. If you are still in school, definitely implement it in those essays. Mm, I guess. Well, I'm yearning for election day because mm. it's 14 days away. Two weeks. Two weeks for Sheesh. us Tuesday listeners. And this is just your reminder that there's two weeks until the election, a.k.a. you should go get your friends. Don't let friends miss elections collection merch so that you can rock it on and around election day and just remind all of your friends about this election through a tote through a hat through a pop socket whatever whichever one tickles your fancy <laughs> it's all available now at socialgoods.com facts 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 if you get some cute merch send us a pic please do because i also noticed somebody there's probably also so much so many pics out there that Maybe people got the merch or I saw the one today. It was at a booth somewhere and like, they, you know, they didn't tag us because maybe they didn't know that we were associated. But there's probably some pics out there that like we don't get to see. You know what it is? It's because we're we're Z-list celebrities, not A, which I Correct. was thinking about a lot because we were supposed to do this awesome show with a few of our friends this week. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, postponed. We'll let you know if, if things, you know, get rescheduled. But right now, not working with our schedule. But... What happened was that the space that we were supposed to perform, perform, I don't know, whatever the word is. It was at the Soho House, okay? Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's fine. That's right. We were about to perform at the Soho House. Get out of here. Why is me imagining us performing, like, us with, like, Yeah, we're not performing. I think we would have, like, (laughs) told people how to register to vote for, like, five minutes, and then that was would be about it. But, yeah. No, we're fine. So have us, look, if you want us on stage somewhere. Let us know. Let the people Especially know. Especially the Soho House. <laughs> Specifically. But I guess You're... the space got booked by an A-list celebrity and they preferred the A-list celebrity over our, our mm. crew, our Motley crew. For a movie premiere. Which makes it, I'm so curious. And a, they didn't movie. extend an invitation yeah, to the host of the canceled event, which is just absolutely atrocious. That is actually. But if anyone knows of any A-list celebrities who are coming out with a movie, I my prediction is maybe Selena Gomez for her documentary. Oh. But... I also am not sure. I know there's also that movie with like George Clooney and Julia Roberts, like divorce oh, movie I've seen commercials for. So we're going to do some digging and figure out who the hell did this to us. But yeah, unfortunate. But we will be in That New means York we City. are Zealous celebrities, which is pretty, hey, 
I'm, I'm there might be. This. Are there any letters below Z? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We're working our way up the alphabet ladder to a list, and you will see us at the Met Gala one day. I promise you. Just manifesting that on this show. But with that said, we will be in New York City to this week together, and you know what that means. That means we'll probably be taking a lot of content together, which is exciting but exhausting for mm, and maybe this for my eyebrows i won't take maddie on a wild goose chase for a new manicure after i've given myself mustard nails. oh my god that was <laughs> oh my god i can't even see the word nails that was shocking <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about i just recommend scrolling back to early spring mm. for this bit of content yeah, that's, that's what yeah. we'll leave it at. But we will leave it there, and I think we introduce our guests now because we, we have do. pressing, pressing matters here. This is a very, very important episode, and I think one that is very, very well explained to explain this more, you know, complex issue, and is also very shareable for people who aren't aware of this issue or have seen it in the news but don't really know fully what's going on. Like, this is a great episode to send to friends because our guest truly explains this so so perfectly so we're super grateful for that and that specific topic is iran everything that is going on there the protests some of the history that's led up to it what we can do to help from the us of a what needs to happen what are some of the expectations as to what might happen we get into it all we will hopefully you know continue to get updates on this particular story but this guest is definitely one to follow on that story. Our guest is Aliqa Laban. She's a criminal defense attorney and she is an expert activist on this particular space. So of course we had to talk to her, get the deets. I also recommend, of course, following her on social media and you can get those handles if you listen to the end of the episode. That is your little like well, teaser. We'll also put there. them in the epi, epi description. Oh, make them listen to the whole episode. Madison. Oh, well, of course, obviously. I mean, we have loyal listeners, okay? They're That's, not, okay. They're not leaving. They know what's up. That's a fair point. Okay. Well, nonetheless, without further ado, here is Alika Lebon. We are super excited to chat with you today. There is so much to get into on this topic, on the topic of Iran, but we want to set the scene a little bit, give people a little bit of an introduction to who you are, how you got into this activist space, and where you kind of fit into this puzzle. So if you wouldn't mind telling everyone a little bit of the backstory, you know, how did you become an activist? How did you become a criminal defense attorney? How do those things sort of intermix as well? So I was born in London. I, my parents are from Iran. I actually started out doing music and then I came to LA, I think it was like 2013 or something. And I, my mom knew her friend and they had kids who I met and they were all in law school and they were all like, you have to go to law school. You know, you'd be such a great attorney and everything. And I was like, hmm. And then, but then I had the Twitter fingers online, you know, I was like, Mm, mm. and then I was like, okay, so maybe I should like do something about it. So anyway, I just like applied to law school on a whim, like no big deal, you know, (laughs) NBD, but then it turned out to be a very big deal as law school is. And then it just kind of took off from there. Like I never really had a life plan or anything, you know, it just, things started rolling and people were like, you should do this, you should do that. And I was like, you know, I live by invitation. So I was like, okay. And now here I am (laughs) by invitation. (laughs) Here you are. Well, let's talk to you about, you know, this activism role you've also stepped into. Can you kind of tell us about that journey and what got you there? So when, I mean, the reason that I even went to law school was, I mean, I guess about 10 years ago, I started 
getting into the whole racial injustice thing. I blew, I grew up in like a predominantly black and brown community, which in London is like black and Arab. I know here it's like black and Latina. And so I, I saw a lot of what was going on in London, but then I was kind of hearing a lot more about it on, you know, stateside because it's a big issue here. So that's kind of where the activism began. And that's how I kind of got into criminal, criminal justice with the intersection of like racial injustice, you know? Mm-hmm. So then... I kind of started going down that rabbit hole. I did like a legal master's in criminal justice. And then the activism just kind of came out from there. Yeah, totally. I feel like those go hand in hand, especially because yeah. then you know how the system works. So you know how to fight against it. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, because it's not like this job isn't something that you just like go to court and then you're done because you got like literally I came back from court today and I was like... <laughs> And I was like, okay, I need to make a video. I need to make a post. I need to tell everyone who I hate and why. <laughs> it's like the Twitter fingers have now manifested into. Literally. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I love it though. activism is really just frustration mm-hmm. with being face-to-face with all the injustices. It's just like, oh, it's so bad. I so, know. So yeah, that's how we got here. Absolutely. Well, also to sort of that that point is it also gives you a point for people to take action for yourself to take action. It's, I think, you know, having the anger and the frustration can be like a really, obviously it's negative that the things happen to be in that spot, but positive in the sense that it puts you in a position to make change and teach others how to do that as well. And so moving into sort of this conversation about Iran and where we're at, you know, you've really been a big voice in what's going on right now and bringing light to what's happening over there. And I'm curious how that segment of your activism has gone. Also, how it started, where you started sort of seeing, you know, the the news cycle go with this. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, throughout this whole time that I've been doing my activism, I never, ever spoke about Iran because it was just one of those things that it wasn't like nothing was really happening it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it, you're not generally going to be able to do too much with things that aren't in the public eye. Like you can sit there and make posts and content all day, but it's going to get like two likes and nobody cares, right? That's kind of yeah. how it was. Like even when I started doing this criminal justice, like racial justice stuff, nobody cared until BLM. And then everyone was like, okay, tell us more, you know? So mm-hmm. it was kind of like, I didn't, you know, it was, Everything that was going on in Iran, obviously I knew because my family, but it was kind of on the back burner because it wasn't in the public eye. So I was really focused on everything that was happening in the public eye. And then I guess, you know, after the death of Massa Amini, everyone started talking about Iran and I was like, oh, wow, this is our 15 minutes of fame. So Mm -hmm. I have to like milk every single minute of those 15 minutes because I mean, Who would I be if I spent my whole life, I say activating because there's no other word, activating for (laughs) everyone else Mm -hmm. and not doing it for my own community, you know? Totally. I mean, that is just such a thing we see across the board with issues, right? It's like we become so reactive to things and like the news cycle instead of, you know, kind of realizing that these are issues that have been long time in the making or have such deep backgrounds. And speaking of that, we want to kind of get into the issue at hand. And we've, you know, for the past couple of weeks, months, I don't, I don't even know what the timeline is at this point, but we've seen these series of protests from the Iranian people against their government. So we really want to get like a really good snapshot of the background on this, not only why it started this time, but if there is like a history there that we can understand better too. 
Yeah, so the history is that the current regime, that's the government right now in Iran, is the Islamic Republic of Iran. The best way I can analogize it is if there was like a revolution and then this became like a, a Christian, Christo-nationalist state, right? You know the people that I'm really? talking about, like, but yeah. it became like a theocracy. So that happened in 1979. Before that, there was a monarchy, which people had mixed feelings about the monarchy, but there was like... It was a liberal place. Like you could have freedom of religion. You could wear what you wanted. I mean, there wasn't really like, you couldn't criticize the monarch because it's not that free. It was like, it wasn't quite democracy, not quite theocracy, just like, but you know, people could wear what they wanted, do what they wanted, whatever. So then you had this revolution, the 1979 Islamic revolution, which introduced Sharia law. And this is something that's also a touchy subject for people to talk about because, you know, they call it Sharia law. But Muslims say that's not Sharia law. So I, I hesitate to, I don't know, but they say that it is. So we just say what they say it is. So, you know, under their laws, then the mandatory hijab was enforced, mandatory dress codes, you can't show your knees, you know, everything has to be covered. Obviously not the same for men. And then just a lot more, a lot more than just mandatory hijab, you know, like, a woman's worth is only half of a man. You know, girls were, when the marriage age was lowered to nine. Um, oh yeah, there's like crimes punishable by death, like homosexuality, <laughs> protesting. So yeah, it was really bad. My family left, everyone, all the Christians, sorry, yeah, Christians, Jews, Baha'is, Zoroastrians, every other religion had to leave, otherwise they would face execution. And then the people who stayed... I mean, most of us left by luck, really, because it's really hard, have been subject to this extreme draconian terrorist regime where they've been, you know, I compare Massa Amini to like George Floyd, like George Floyd wasn't an isolated incident. It was the final stick that broke the right. camel's back. That's exactly what happened in, in Iran. They were killing us for like 43 years and like 13 of my own family members so finally, they were like, fuck this. And that just erupted. Everything erupted after that. I actually have a quote unquote silly question in terms of leaving Iran. Like, is that possible? Like, can like an everyday citizen there leave the country or no? Yeah, I mean, you can leave, but what grounds would you have to leave, right? Like if you right. apply to come to America, you'd be instantly rejected. So if you could try, but you, you wouldn't get anywhere. If you're like a fugitive... No, you can't. Like, people do try to escape out of, like, the border into Turkey and stuff. But mm -hmm. you can't, like, leave to live somewhere else unless you are an asylee, unless you've been granted some kind of status. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. No. Well, can we also get a snapshot of, like you said, Masa, Mini, similar to George Floyd's situation where this has been happening for so long, mm -hmm. but was the straw that broke the camel's back. Can we get a snapshot of really what happened here that led to ultimately these protests? So Masa Amini, she was a 22-year-old girl. She, you know, she was not fully covering her hair, I guess, and she was arrested by the morality police, aka the Basij who are responsible for enforcing the dress code. It's one of those weird things because, you know, girls often in Iran, you see them and they're not fully, they, they are wearing their hijab in a loose way, but it's kind of just like one of those things where it's like when they get you, they get you, you know? Mm. So they, I don't know, maybe she was like resisting, but they took her to be educated 
on, you know, modesty and how, how to, you know, properly wear the hijab. And then so she goes into this interrogation room and they start hearing screams from inside there. And they're all like banging on the door, like trying to get her out. And then suddenly she's like rushed to hospital. And the state released a statement that was like, oh, she suddenly had a heart problem and died. But mm-hmm. it found, you know, the autopsy showed she had blunt force trauma to the head and then she died. And so, you know, the protests erupted out of that. And I guess, you know, the world kind of caught on to everything that was going on and started paying attention. And that caused this revolution that we are witnessing right now. Yeah. And to the question of like the morality, please, what exactly do they do? And do they enforce other rules or laws? And are they like different from like a regular police force or is it very specific? Yeah, the morality police is more about the dress code and just like compliance with, you know, what they consider to be moral, you know, aspects of the law. You know, if a woman is behaving inappropriately, you know, if a woman is like, you know, goes somewhere without her husband's permission or like there's a party, you're not allowed to have parties. Dancing in the street, you're not allowed to dance in the street. Singing, you're not allowed to sing, you know. So the morality police is responsible for educating you on how to be, you know, modest and shy, as they say, through violence. Mm-hmm. And who are the protesters that we're seeing? Is this a is this a collective effort from most people in the country or is there a specific group that's like, we're done? Like, what's the divide yeah. like kind of amongst? So, you know, the thing about Iran is that because it's a country that has never enjoyed a democracy well not really it's really difficult to get transparency in terms of like there are no referendums there's no polling you know there's no you don't get to find out how people feel because even if you did it would be a skewed result right so there's really no way of knowing how everyone feels but just from the sheer volume of people that are out in the streets and just through word of mouth, you get the sense that the overwhelming majority of people are against this regime. Because at this point, it's like this regime has killed basically, it's hard to find an Iranian person who has like not even one of their family members has been executed by this regime at this point, right? So the right now in Iran, 80% of the population is Gen Z. So they're just like, they're babies in Iran right wow. now. And that's why they are so... That's a um, crazy number. Is that- it's a crazy number. Yeah, I got that like, from Christian Amanpour on The Daily Show. And then Wait, I looked sorry. it up. Other question. Do you know how many people are in? 85 million. Okay. That's so wild. 60 million, I guess, under yeah. whatever it is, 25, 28. I don't know. That's an oh, insane amount of people. Yeah. Yeah. In both ways. Wow. Yeah. So so now you have these girls that for the first, not for the first time, but, you know, you have this access of information. You have these girls are like on TikTok, like us, like these girls are like dancing on TikTok, doing their TikTok videos and they're seeing how the other side live. And they're like, wait, this doesn't seem because I mean, if you think about it, if you live in a world where you don't have access to the outside world, right? And everyone tells you this is just how life is, then you don't know to question that. You're like, okay, well, this is life. But then, you know, even though these things are all banned in Iran, like Twitter, TikTok, it's all banned, but they find like Gen Z, you know, they find their VPNs and log in. And they're like, yeah, (laughs) classic Gen Z, I love it. And they're like, wait, I don't want to live like this and I don't have to live like this. 
they see us doing the, these things where we're like, November, vote blue, you know, and they're like, mm-hmm. I want to vote blue in November, you know, so all vote red, I guess. Um, <laughs> not, not right now. <laughs> um, Won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> They've been living red. Um, so <laughs> they just, at this point, they're just like, what is the point in in living if we can't, we don't even get to live if you execute right. us for trying to live. So we might as well fight tooth and nail for, mm-hmm. you know, our freedom. Totally. Yeah. Which is part of like one of my like questions is like they're fighting for freedom, but like how does that happen? Like is there a pathway to it? Like yeah, what do you think is so, possible there? I honestly think right now it's just anarchy. I think I don't think really they know what's going to be on the other side what i think what makes this slightly different to the previous revolution the 1979 revolution where khomeini the ayatollah khomeini took power there was a a candidate who was in exile he was in france there was a candidate to take rule so people were you know coming out in droves because they were like oh there's somebody that we can actually look to who can be Mm. our leader Iran doesn't have that right now. So I don't think that they know, you know, they don't have an eye on what's, what the possibility is. They just, I think their goal is like, get these monsters out. And then once they're out, we can just establish a democracy. Like that's just, that's the goal. But I don't think there's a clear line of sight as to how that's going to a be strategy, achieved. And I yeah. think that's just generally the case with these types of revolutions. You know, they're like, anarchic and bloody and just like yeah I think you kind of it has to be that way right where you kind of have to like raise hell and then hopefully then a strategy can be formed um sorry I also had another question back to like the who are the protesters are there a decent amount of men included is it mostly women do we know Mm. yes there are there are men included in the protests. I think you know that we may not be seeing as many men targeted because I think you know in the mindset of the morality police, it's like very unbecoming of a woman to like go out there like they call them like prostitutes, like these prostitutes that's fighting to be naked, you know. But if a man goes out and protests, it's just like I mean it's still illegal, still very bad, but they might not want to kill him as much you know so that's why you're seeing more female victims but that doesn't mean that the men aren't there i see the men they are standing behind women and actually it's quite funny because in iran my sense and the sense that i get from a lot of people ironically is that it's kind of a matriarchy like (laughs) even though it's like this terrible patriarchal regime it's like one of those cultures where like the the woman rules the roost in the house and the man says, okay, yes, sorry, whatever yeah. you say, you know? Yeah. Well, they support their women in that way. I mean, it's also just so crazy to think of the number of 80% of Gen mm-hmm. Z. I mean, I just, you can only think like why why Gen Z blew up like that numbers wise. And, you know, that's just so baffling to me. Well, they killed a lot of us, you know? Crazy. And the, the life expectancy isn't good there because the conditions are horrible. Like the Mullahs steal wow. all the money. I think there's a, a, a statistic that's like 80% of people now are living at or below the poverty line. Like it's just the, the conditions are not good. Wow. No, that totally changes it. I feel like that's going to be one of those numbers where we're like trying to wrap our head around it all night. But 
thinking about these protests and like where they're going and sort of where they're at right now, what has been like the overall like government reaction just for anyone that's sort of coming into this story now and, you know, just learning what what really is the government doing in reaction to these protests? Well, first of all, they're just not being honest about what's going on. So everything has been a cover up, first of all. It's funny because they repeat the same stories over and over again. And you just think, how many times can that happen? Like the same two stories they repeat is that somebody died of a heart failure or they fell from a great height. And it's like, how many times can someone fall from the from a great height while they're arrested in custody in prison? Like, where is this great height that they're falling yeah. from? You know, like they don't even get creative with it. So it's just it's silly, you know. So they come up with this same stories and then you know they've manufactured this propagandized account of you know it's the us and israel that are responsible for these protests and you know they're they're just spreading propaganda in iran to make people think that something's going on that's not going on and it's just so funny because it's like you can't lie to us when you killed our families right like, how are you going to kill our parents, uncles, siblings, cousins, and then be like, that's not happening? Mm-hmm. Totally. Tell that to my dead aunt, you know? Like, yeah. oh, you can't, she's not here because you killed her. No, you it's, know? yeah, it's honestly just stupid. Like, you don't have any type of, lo- like, logical strategy here when you have yeah. such an uprising from people. And that's kind of one of our questions is, like, what's at stake for the government? Like, it's seeming like with this amount of people rising up, it can't be good for the government to actually maintain control. Like, what is that looking like? Um, You know, they have a huge defense. They have IRGC, which is the Islamic Republic's guardian call. And I don't know, I think like 500,000 with including like the national army and everything but at the same time so you know they have that but at the same time what are they going to do kill every citizen then there'll be no country left so they're kind of stuck i think their main concern is obviously money and then power and control because they are millionaires there was like an article on forbes like millionaire mullers right because they just steal all the country's money they don't want to give up their money and they don't want to give up their power and control so I'm hearing stories that they are going to basically just take all the money, maybe, and leave to Venezuela, because I don't know if you know, Venezuela has a completely fucked up situation as well, and they will be protected there. That's what I'm hearing. So there is, I mean, I guess there is a possibility that they think to themselves, it's not worth it. I'm just going to take all the money and run. Um, or they may just think like this is going to die out and we're going to stick it out. But we haven't gotten any indication of what direction they're headed in. And I don't, I, I don't think that, you know, we're ever going to get any transparency from them. So it's just going to be one of those things where, you know, if they do leave, we're just going to wake up one day and they'll be gone and that's it, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. But I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. I never even sort of thought of that pathway for them or like an escape hatch kind of mode which, which is, is interesting to think about yeah it's also just interesting to think about the fact like a country like venezuela would like harbor essentially like these fugitives and that's a whole can of worms of course that whole we'll save for another day yeah. yeah i i heard like some rumor that they'd like bought an island on venezuela and venezuela is going to protect them and i was like of course they are like they can just you know yeah s- all the country's monies together and just live 
bridge together. Like, of course, that makes sense. So, and they get to live on an island with impunity. So, seems like a, a grand plan for them, you know? Totally. <laughs> wow. What a wild world. Well, I also want to, you know, ask the question too is like, how does the Iranian government like get away with this? Like on an international scale and also like there, like, I think actually, hold on, let me put that in two boxes. There's that question. And then the second question is also in terms of, you know, some of the, you know, the police, the army, some of these people that like are obviously Iranian citizens and have had, I'm going to guess as well, like family members executed by the regime. Like how do they also end up serving in those roles? Like, is it, is yeah. there some sort of incentive to yes. be a part of that? What does that look like? Money. They get people who work for the government get a lot of money. It's like corrupt money. It's not like mm, okay. people who work for the government here get peanuts. So if something goes wrong, they're like peace, you know. But there, well, they have just like, <laughs> they have like just stacks of cash that they get paid to be loyal to the regime, right? Like stack. I mean, there was somebody that I just love it when they uncover these scandals on TikTok. But there was this guy <laughs> that like had did whole, like uncovered this whole scandal where there was this guy that worked for the regime the government and he you know his wife was living here in the u.s and this girl is just like dancing naked on tiktok all day and she's just like displaying her like hundred thousand dollar bags and she's like oh my husband giving giving me money and it's like just stacks of money just like that's that's just that's their whole incentive is money right yeah. um and they get protected like they're, they're not going to kill them so they stay loyal because of the money. So that's the one thing. And what was the other question that you asked? And then the other one was just like how the government gets away with this. Like, oh, yeah. You know, I think the problem here is that the government, Iran has so much leverage, leverage because of its oil, right? Like it has the thing that the world wants. So the world being like, oh, we're going to put sanctions on you or whatever. And it's like, okay, fine, then don't have our lovely oil. And they're like, just kidding, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like it's be a reoccurring theme in the world right now. Just <laughs> totally. Mm -hmm. So yeah. unfortunately, I think Iran kind of is always going to have the upper hand when it comes to foreign policy and foreign dealings. Yeah. So there's really not that much that the rest of the world can do without everyone else suffering right which is crazy how just like climate reforms literally and like human rights really go hand in hand because of mm. just how the world could benefit and possibly change from us not relying on oil anymore but obviously that's Ugh. a whole another can of worms that we don't need to go down but yeah. um speaking of tiktok and everything internet access played a huge role and even you know, being the catalyst for some of these protests, but also now during protests, government has been blocking access. So can you kind of paint that picture as well of like, A, like how would this have happened without internet access and B, where are we now with, you know, what these protesters are getting access to? So there's a few reasons for the cutting off the internet. First of all, they don't want them to organize, which is why they stormed the Sharif University and arrested all the students because they know that, you know, the bright minds are the ones doing the organizing. So they don't want them to organize. They don't want them to get the word out about what's happening to them so they they can keep Iran dark. So nobody knows what's going on. Um, 
And then I think another component of it, which is often overlooked, is that they're really trying to dampen morale. They really want you to just be depressed. I mean, if you think about like what we all went through during COVID when we couldn't go outside and see each other and everyone got so depressed, but like we were literally on our phones all day, like in the group chats, like, you know, but just imagine COVID, but you have no internet right? Like you're going to absolutely lose your mind. And my dad's in Iran right now. And, you know, he has no internet, no phone. And like, he leaves me these voice notes, voice messages, and he's literally just crying because he's just like so depressed. He's like, it's like really getting to him. And I think that's the side that people aren't seeing in Iran because they're seeing all the protesters and they're seeing everything that's happening outside, but they're not seeing that people, like these people are held hostage in like solitary confinement. You can't right. go outside because it's too dangerous. And you and when you're inside, you have no TV, you have no phone, you have no internet. Like you're literally just stuck in a room. Like they're going crazy. Yeah. No, oh, a thousand percent. It's like a whole nother side of it. And I feel like it's just these it's like an entire country being held hostage. It's like psychological warfare, psychological mm. abuse, you know? Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I think that is super interesting in terms of how people from the outside can help with that. Is there anything that people can do not in Iran that can help people there in terms of getting internet access or restoring it or providing any sort of access to that type of communication? You know, I don't know, but I did have a thought and I I don't know who to reach out to about this thought, but I was thinking about, because one of the problems with reporting everything that's going on there is that, you know, when these parents come out and say, like, you know, my child got murdered or whatever, they get arrested and they might get the death penalty themselves. So I was thinking, like, if Amnesty or the UN or someone could establish, like, a portal for anonymous reporting with some type of, like, internet that... Because you know how, like, even though you don't have internet, like, your phone still does 999999, I'm still in England, 911. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Without any service, right? There has to be, like, some kind of thing that you can't intercept where, like, no matter what service you have, you can still access it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, because I don't know anything about technology. But I was thinking, like, what if Amnesty or someone set up this portal for people who could access from Iran and let the world know what's going on? on like anonymously report this person got kidnapped this person was murdered this and reveal all the details yeah. i don't know how yeah. to go about that but i think that would be a great idea are there many journalists there right now um they're all arrested they're all in the so prison. even like from the u.s or other places from the u.s from the U- yeah. and that was the thing because i don't know if you saw that they set the prison on fire yeah and they had all the American journalists, British journalists, everyone inside. They've Some of them have been in there for years, the journalists. And we're not doing anything about that because of oil? I guess. There was this one British journalist that was in there for six years. And I think that England had to pay Iran like £600 million or something to release her. Oh, my so gosh. So maybe they just... It's too expensive. I don't know. Oh my gosh. I don't know why? Yeah. Well, honestly, that might be the perfect segue to get into some of our audience questions because our first one kind of has to do with that. And so the first one is what role, if any, has the US had an escalation of issues faced by the Iranian people? You know, the US and the West has always had a hand 
in everything that's happened in Iran. Obviously, because of the oil issue, it's always in the West's interest interest to have somebody in power that they can negotiate well with, right? So, and this gets into political stuff that people always disagree about, so I don't want to say too much, but, you know, it's pretty well known that the US had a hand in installing the Shah, the previous monarchy, the monarch. And then when this, the Ayatollah Khomeini came into power under Carter's administration, he had also facilitated that by kind of convincing the Shah to leave the country and helping with the propaganda in order order to establish Khomeini's installment. So the West has always kind of had a hand in escalating situations in Iran or orchestrating situations in Iran that seem to serve its own self-interest. And I think that's largely the reason why everything is as bad as it is in Iran, because you're having these situations, these decisions made for people that they just don't want. Or they may maybe thought they wanted it, wanted it in the moment because of the propaganda, and they were like, wait, this was a lie. They're just not choosing. They're being chosen by either these dictators or the West that are, you know, helping the dictators. And this is literally why we are are where we are now, because there's just no choice. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of times it's like, Jesus Christ, United States of America, way to go, interfering and hurting people. Love that. Not same thing with Afghanistan, right? Like Mm -hmm. the Taliban and everything. I mean, it's just, it's so scary. I mean, actually what's going on in Afghanistan is actually worse with the Taliban. It's so scary, yeah. but you know, that 15 minutes is up now. So right. that was this. It's, yeah, totally. <laughs> the rotating 15 minutes of fame it, each country. Goes. It's yeah. <laughs> truly wild. I, I can't, well, back to sort of like the U.S. and another question here from one of our audience members. How can people in the U.S. support protesters? So I think the best way to support is to keep talking about it. So two things. There was protests in 2009. It was called the Green Movement. It was, again, it was like a fraudulent election. It was was basically like a Jan 6, but except it was an actual fraudulent (laughs) election. (laughs) Okay. There was no right to choose. So that happened and it seemed like it was going the same way. But then it lost momentum because the international community stopped talking about it. So it's Mm. like when we stop talking about it, their movement dies. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is when you talk about these people, oh, that leads me to who I need to mention. The the Iranian government doesn't kill people that are known to the international community. So Mm -hmm. there were these three protesters from 2020, these three young boys that were protesting gas prices because of the sanctions and they got the death penalty, which in Iran you get death by hanging and sometimes it's a public lynching and then there was like a lot of international attention and they reduced their sentence to five years they don't kill people when it's when there's like public recognition because they know that you know it will like incite like sedition violence and whatever right so every so if we talk about the people on death row or the people who are high risk as much as we can that's like like I mean, I can't say it guarantees, but it's like it gives us hope that they probably won't do it. They mm. probably won't execute them. So that leads me to the thing about the two girls that are on death row right now, which is who we've been doing this campaign for online, Elham, Elham Chubdar 
and Zahra Sedafi Hamidani, both just LGBTQ persons on death row that sentenced to be hanged. And uh, we're just trying to get the word out as much as we can about them and other people who are on death row so that the government doesn't at least execute the kind of high profile names. Yeah. So that's what people can do is just to keep talking about these people, keep talking about the victims, keep talking about the protests, keep being the voice through on because if people keep, you know, the momentum going, it keeps the momentum going there. Yeah. And that can lead to success. Totally. Yeah. Keep posting, resharing everything you can do. Next question from our audience is why is the US media not covering the protests? It's a great question. You know, great question. They just don't care. I think people have a lot of different theories. One of the theories is like, oh, it's because of this oil deal they're doing with the US. I'm not convinced by that one because I don't think that the news particularly cares what the government does. I just think that the news has its own agenda. The mainstream media has its own agenda. And I just don't think that they think it's hot, you know. But somebody from one of these organizations actually reached out to New York Times and they said, like, when when we were talking about why they didn't cover the protests here in the US or like all over the world, but right. you know, hundreds of thousands of people came out and they were like, oh, you know, like a couple of people marching in the streets isn't newsworthy. Or they said something like that. So I don't know. They have, they seem to have their own agenda. Yeah. Wow. Totally. Yeah. It always seems like definitely own agenda and also a pick and choose. It's like lots of coverage of Ukraine, not saying it does not deserve lots of coverage. It does as well. But just like any crisis, protest, revolution moment like this, I feel like it all needs coverage and it's just super wild. And I find it quite disrespectful that they're not giving us any coverage. People are dying in the streets for their freedom. I wonder, including journalists, you know, like that's what they're about. I wonder if it's also just like a sense of laziness in a way, obviously like they don't respect the issue enough to do the work, you know, because there's obviously there are barriers to get the information, right? Yeah. Maybe that's, yeah, maybe it's that they feel like they can't do like honest reporting because they because of the lack of transparency but at least here like things that are going on here yeah what's interesting is that i think the new york times some of these mainstream media outlets they're like israeli outlets and you'd think that because you know iran and israel are like the iranian government and israeli government are notorious enemies so you'd think like they would take every opportunity they can to be like look how bad iran is but it's so weird because they're not so I don't know. Maybe it's like they don't want to rile things up. I don't know. I'm like surprised. I'm surprised that this isn't the opportunity to really paint Iran in like the terrible yeah. light that it be painted in, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. Hmm. I have to give some thought to that, but that is interesting. It's like literally being handed a W and then yeah. just ignoring it. Right. And that's what the Iran that's what the Iranian government is even accusing everyone of anyway. They're like, it's just the US and Israel, but like literally the US and Israel won't say anything. Aren't doing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of the strategy yeah. there, right? Yeah. Maybe they <sighs> maybe want to, you know, give them that benefit of being able yeah. to blame them. It's just wild. Yeah. Wild. Well, we have one last question from our audience. 
what isn't being covered by the U.S. that we should know about? I feel like we've talked about that a little bit, but yeah. if there's anything else, like... I think, honestly, I think the the main thing that's really not being covered is the people that are on death row. I think what is... If the, new, if the news is going to report anything, it's going to be something that's, like, sensationalized. So maybe they'd report, like, the protests and the revolution, but what happens after they, you know, arrest and kidnap these girls and take them to Evan prison and, you know, what happens behind closed doors, that's not as sensationalized. So I feel like they're just completely ignoring that aspect. And that's probably why, like, the UN and, like, the Human Rights Council, Amnesty are just, like, not really, you know, stepping forward with this issue because it's just not getting discussed enough because it's just not you know, being brought to the light enough. So that's the one thing that I think like is so frustrating for me, especially as a criminal defense attorney and somebody who is, you know, does the activism with death row stuff even here. It's just frustrating to me that nobody is bringing attention to like the very barbaric manner mm -hmm. in which they execute people and for no reason at all, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be so frustrating, too, to think about, you know, what happened in Afghanistan and how that all just got and is still getting brushed under the rug. And, you know, you don't want that same cycle to happen here. So it just it's so, like you said, so crucial to just keep talking about it and keep sharing. So with that said, thank you so much for coming on and giving us all this background, all this detail. We really appreciate your time and answering all of our questions. So thank you so, so much. much for is having there me. Yeah. Is there anywhere people can find you and continue to hear kind of your reporting on all of this? Yes. So I'm on Instagram, Ella Pelabon, which is E-L-I-C-A-L-E-B-O-N. And then my TikTok is the same, but it's Elica.Labon, period. We, we will link that too in the episode descriptions. Everyone go follow immediately. But thank you again for <laughs> thank coming you. on. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.